Hi, welcome to It's Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Gina Monaco, mortgage broker and team lead at TMG The Mortgage Group. I'm excited to share this podcast with you. Each session, we'll be interviewing industry leaders to bring you insights into the housing market and how your mortgage is impacted. We'll also be reviewing a variety of different mortgage products. We'll be talking about credit, interest rates, the economy. We'll be discussing the mortgage regulations and how they impact consumers. So enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. It's your mortgage podcast. Uh, Today, I have Ryan Sims. Uh, Ryan, you and I had a a conversation not too long ago. Very brief. First time getting to know each other. Uh, But for the audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and... uh, and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It was uh, definitely great to talk with you last week. I've been in the financial arena since I started at the bank when I was 14. Uh, Ever since then, I've just always loved finance and I've always been involved in finance in some way, whether it be working the bond desk, uh, being a mortgage agent, being an investment planner, a financial planner. I've just kind of had my hands in all things financially related. Over 25 years now. 25 years? And are you you still working in the financial sector? Yeah. Yeah. I sold my uh, financial planning company and my insurance business uh, two years ago now, but uh, I always loved mortgages and I always found them interesting. And so I, I kept my mortgage license going and that is pretty much my uh, my income now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So for those who don't know me as well, uh, Andrew Gomez, worked for TMG, the mortgage group. I am also a mortgage agent, uh, level two. And I originally had started uh, once uh, when I first entered the uh, finance industry, I was uh, came in as an insurance broker, did that for three years. And then I joined the bank with the aspirations of becoming a financial planner. I uh, started studying towards CFP. I wanted to focus on investments and I was exposed to lending. I started in First Canadian Place, uh, which is a very lending heavy branch. Um, and uh, from there, I uh, expanded my portfolio with, uh, with mortgages, uh, ultimately got into private wealth and, uh, and then became an agent and uh, joined a brokerage uh, more recently to uh, build, on, build my book there. And so thanks for sharing. I know you also uh, write a, a blog every so often. I've recently subscribed to it. Uh, love your take on a lot of the things, um, and I know one of the recent ones that uh, that you you had uh, written about. Well, in in our business, everyone talks about the latest data and trends on every headline. And what is it about the data that you think clients and business partners should be watching for when we're seeing headlines and uh, seeing all the numbers that are getting thrown around? Well, that's a great point you bring up, Andrew. Um, I mean. The markets have always relied very heavily on data and anything can be data, housing starts, interest rates, inflation. But the problem is becoming is the data keeps changing in terms of what we're looking at. So, you know, a great one would be the inflation print. People come out and say, oh, you know, inflation uh, numbers were pick a number 3.6. Well, what inflation uh, data are you looking at? Are you looking at core? Are you looking at trim? You're looking, you know, there's so many different points of data. and. More than ever, I think that data can be so easily manipulated to tell a preformed narrative. Forgive me, I'm sure there's some realtors watching this, but um, you know, realtors are going to pick the lowest inflation number and say, you know, inflation's down, interest rates are going to drop by now before you can't. Whereas people that are wanting the housing market to drop are going to say, well, inflation's still up at 3.6, 
Um, so interest rate cuts aren't coming. Both could be correct, depending on which data that you are looking at. So, I think there's also a, a time frame discussion there that predicting is uh, it's not really a good business. But uh, at some point, you're going to be right. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I always uh, told folks I would give you a prediction or a timeline, but never both, because then I would be wrong twice. It's one thing to say, you know, interest rate, I think interest rates will go down. Well, that's great. Um, now, I didn't tell you when, I didn't tell you by how much, and I didn't tell you what interest rate I'm looking at. You know, and, and I find a lot of people are just sort of using these big sort of open opinions of, you know, I think interest rates are going down. Well, are you talking about Canadian interest rates, US interest rates? Oh, you're talking about Canadian, okay. Uh, are you talking the three-year, the five-year, the variable, the 10-year, the bond yield interest rate, or the mortgage interest rate, or credit card interest rates, or... You know, so it's one thing to say, hey, I think rates are going to go down, but we have to get a little bit more specific on that, I think. Yeah, that, that's fair. I think there's one thing, um, you know, over the last uh, year that I had been having in my discussions, because everybody would talk about inflation and, and most of the time it's it's headline inflation. I like to say uh, headline inflation is for the politicians. <laughs> if you look at Bank of Canada's mandate, their decision making is primarily focused on on core inflation measures, um, and it's been that way, right? Um, and and we've seen that's been sticky for for some time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada really has one job, which is to control inflation. Uh, that is the mandate that was given to them by the federal government when their uh, when their mandate was was last renewed, and we keep hearing that you know inflation's got to come down to two percent, and that's been the mantra really since they started raising interest rates back in, uh, what are we now, March of 2022. But again, to say inflation has to be at 2%, well, headline inflation, core inflation, CPI trim, what inflation gauge are we using? And the Bank of Canada has been a little muddy on that, exactly what they're looking for. And in fact, sure. back uh, November, December, they even came out and said, well, hey, maybe, maybe inflation doesn't have to be at 2%. Uh, maybe it can be higher. Maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe we're in a new normal, you know. Um, oh, maybe we are, you know. So it's it's always difficult uh, to, to interpret the data if you don't know what the other party is going to be doing based on that data. That's fair. I, I guess the other point is how do you even interpret that for your to formulate your your own opinion, right? <laughs> um, I know you had mentioned it's important to take your your get your sources from from different ends of the spectrum from. Uh, because of how highly politicized things have become and just to formulate your own decisions based off of that. Yeah, and I mean, Charlie Munger had a, a saying, uh, for those that don't know Charlie Munger, he's Warren, he was Warren Buffett's business partner. And he, he always used to say, you know, the stock market in the short term is a voting machine, but in the long term, it's a weighing machine. Uh, politics and economics have always gone together, but I've never seen them so highly charged as they are right now. And I think it's extremely important in our profession right now, no matter what your political slant or views are, to read opinions and ideas from the other side of that spectrum. Because otherwise you, you get into this tunnel and sometimes you can't see, you know, I love it when I find an opinion that doesn't agree with what I think because it makes me think, hey, what am I not seeing? What am I missing? What do they know that I don't know? And so you do some research and what you'll find is, yeah, some people are just right out to lunch, but there's some points maybe that they have that you haven't considered in the past that can help you be better informed and, and come up with your own opinions of what may happen. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I, I imagine it's difficult for people. Um, you know, everybody's working as hard as they can to maybe take on extra jobs to to try and keep afloat in a lot of cases uh, these days. And, uh, you know, you go to work, you come home, you cook, you take care of the family, and then uh, you got to go to bed. You need to rest and recover and <laughs> taking a lot of time to uh, to do their research can be bottom of the pile. Yeah. And one of the big things I've been really harping on, um, you know, the whole point of my blog is to try and help make mortgage agents and brokers better at what they do. And, and one of the things I've really been sort of pounding the table about is, you know, you have to become that trusted source for your client, you know, because they don't have time, like you just said, to go out and, you know, spend 47 hours on the Internet looking at all these opinions and understanding our business is really bad about talking in jargon and short forms, you know, TDS, GDS, LTV, BIPs, things like that, that the average person probably doesn't understand. So you need to be that trusted source that your client can be like, oh, I have a question about, you know, what this means. I'll call Andrew because I know he's smart and I know he can tell me in a very brief three minute phone call what that is. And if you become that trusted source for your client, the referrals will come and the business will come and the commissions will follow. That's fair. That's a good no, point. It's it's um, not a discussion of, hey, what's your lowest interest rate? It's, hey, here's how smart I am. Here's how much I know about my business, my industry, and what affects you. But more importantly, here's how what this announcement this morning or this data this morning, here's what it means to you and your family in your everyday life. Because honestly, that's all people care about. Yeah. yeah I was going to mention uh, that, that we, you know, especially in the current interest rate environment, uh, Rates are at least fixed rates have started to come down a little bit on the the longer term to the five year terms and, and over three years, um, and and everybody's aggressively rate shopping. I'm seeing Reddit threads keep popping up. Everybody's asking, is this the best rate? Is this the best rate? And uh, I, I know you you made a couple of points there, and and I think it's important for the viewers to and clients. Uh, and also business partners as well, and for the individual brokers uh, who you know are, are establishing themselves um, to to know what beyond a good rate makes a good mortgage agent uh, or a good mortgage broker or any type of mortgage professional that you choose to work with. Yeah, and, and don't worry, you have to add value to your client because you know price is only an issue in the absence of of value, and there's many ways you can add value to your client. I mean, knowing your data, knowing your economics, knowing your local housing market, knowing good realtors, good lawyers, good appraisers, et cetera. Those are all things that, that go with it. But I've, I always viewed it in my practice where if we're down to discussing rate, I've already lost, you know, and, and let's go back to two years ago. So let's fa uh, rewind. I guess it wouldn't be fast forwarding unless we had a time machine. So let's rewind to January 2022. Coming into February, rates were starting to go up a little bit. And a lot of guys for the cheapest rate said to their client, just take the two year because rates will be back down in two years. Don't worry about it, right? Well, <laughs> now here we are two years later and oh boy, rates are definitely not cheaper. They're definitely not the same. And in fact, they're a lot higher. You did a massive disservice to your client. Yeah. Why? Well, because you were trying to be the cheapest guy. And, you know, I, I, I'm very upfront with my clients. I said, you know what? I'm probably not going to be your best rate. Like there's always somebody out there that will beat my rate. But I, I think you will really struggle to find somebody that beats my value proposition to you. And yeah, people start asking, yeah. oh, well, what, what's all involved? Because people only know that interest rate's important because the bank has always told them interest rate's important. And, you know, I, I mean, no um, no offense to your, your former career working for a big, uh, a big bank in Canada. <laughs> but 
you know, banks always tell people that they should look for the lowest interest rate. And I was asked folks and I said, well, that's that's cool. Great. Um, who do you think the bank's interests they're looking out for when they give you that recommendation? Yours or their shareholders? Yeah, yep. that's a good point. You know, so I like that reframe. You know, interest rate, yeah, definitely, it, it can help you. But there's a lot of other things that we can do to bring the overall value we provide to our clients up way above. You know, maybe it's service, maybe it's returning calls. Uh, I, I think people would be amazed at how much business you'll get if you actually answer your phone. Uh, I know that sounds like yeah. a very primal type of urge, but you know, when people call, answer the darn thing and give them answers. Yeah, yeah, it's a that's an interesting one that I learned that a lot of people in our line of business don't answer their phone. Yep. Um, and I find business, some business partners are the same. Some people that, that you work with and, you know, when you need them, it's hard to get a hold of them. And I guess everybody has their own preferred method of communication. Yep. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think if we're talking about being a good, uh, a good professional uh, mortgage agent, um, or mortgage broker and, and how we service our clients. It's I think that that's really what takes brokers um, and agents to the next to the next level. That that service that the average person uh, is, is just not providing the simple ones, right? Not well, picking up your phone and, it, and it's email reframing it within twenty four hours. It's reframing it to show the, the client. You know, it's it's funny how everybody talks about interest rate on their mortgage, but nobody talks about interest rate. You know, when you go to the grocery store. Uh, blueberries aren't priced, you know, uh, percent per pound. They're they're priced in dollars per pound, and and I think you will find most things in the in the world if you go shopping are priced in dollars and cents, not bips. And so it, it always kind of amazed me that. It, but as soon as we were talking mortgages, we were talking basis points and interest rates. Right. And I always ask people. I said, so you're telling me a cheap rate is important? They say, absolutely. Got to get the best rate. And I said, well, it's really interesting to me that we've never had cheaper interest rates. This was going back a couple of years in history, like no recorded history. We had cheaper interest rates, but somehow we all have more debt than we used to when rates were expensive. So if it was all true about having the best rock bottom interest rate, nobody should have any debt, should they? And they go, oh, well, that, that kind of makes, you know, that is, that is quite a summer. So, you know, I always looked at it as if you were talking interest rate, you would almost lost the conversation and probably lost the client. Yeah. I can remember quite a few times leaving clients' homes and they'd call me as I was driving home and they'd say, oh, just a question for you. Yeah, uh, you were over here. What what rate did we get on our mortgage again? I said, I, I didn't even look. I'll look at it and I'll, I'll call you back. Um, yeah. It was almost an afterthought. And I always I always got excited by that because it means the value of what we did showed through better than the interest rate. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think there's things that we tend to well, overlook as well and clients tend to overlook. And, and that's what is your long-term plan? What are you trying to do with this property that you're purchasing? What are you trying to do with the refinance? Is that going to, you know, is is taking the longest, short, lowest rate uh, the most ideal situation for you? What do the back-end fees look like? What does the exit strategy look like? And and I think that that adds up and uh, it's something that's very overlooked in, in the planning process when it comes to finding a solution for our clients. Well, and I'll give you a great example. Um, back in 2020, uh, I sat down with a client and again, you know, wanting to be as, as conservative as possible and, and make the best financial choices. And they had a 10 year amortization and they were really stuck on paying it off in 10 years, which was great to see. And I said to them, you know what, why don't we look at a 10 year fixed? And they said, well, what, what's the rate? And I said, well, I think the rate was, don't quote me, but around 299. And they said, well, that's really expensive because we can lock into a five year for 199. So that's a cheaper rate. <laughs> 
I should write, but let's look at the, you know what? It, peace of mind, you don't have to worry about it for the next 10 years. You know, I think interest rates from here go up. I don't know by how much, but I don't think they can go lower. Turns out I was wrong. They went from like 199 down to 159, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, now this client Short would, term. you know, be coming up into a renewal at what, five, five and a quarter, maybe five and a half. Well, they've got that 299. So they did overpay for about a year and a half, but now they're sitting pretty. Probably yeah. save them thousands of dollars in interest over the over the 10 year term, even though they were paying a higher rate. No banker would have suggested they pay 100 basis points more and take that 10 year fixed. I know I wasn't recommending a 10 year fix when I was working at the bank. <laughs> right. So it, it, again, just by showing people options and, you know, most people are accustomed to going in and just getting approved. We either got approved or, dec or declined. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, thank God. Yeah. They'll sign anything. But I say before we get to that <laughs> approval. Let me ask you some questions. You know, what's the purpose of this? What are you looking to do? What are you looking to attain? How does this fit into your overall plan? As mortgage yeah. agents, we deal with people's largest asset and probably their largest debt. You know, it should be a discussion of how does this fit into your overall plan, your lifestyle, your goals, your dreams, your retirement, et cetera, things like that. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's up to the individual uh, agent and the individual broker to uh, to build on that holistic approach. Um, and, and go beyond the mortgage. I, I realized that was something that I really appreciated in the way that uh, you viewed a lot of topics that, that you discuss on your blog is uh, it, it has, you often have a financial planning lens um, when, when you're writing them out. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you have to because, you know, everything is affected by everything else. You know, if interest yeah. rates go up, it affects your mortgage, it affects your investment portfolio, it could, it could affect your insurance policy. I mean, so many things could be affected by that. So to say, you know, it operates in this silo of singularity to me is, is just foolish to look at it that way. And, and I've always kind of said, you know, we have to look and, and be able to help folks on something that maybe we're not compensated for. Because if it helps them solve the overall, you know, piece into their puzzle that it, the puzzle needs to get bigger, we have to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. You were talking about the, that 10 year fixed mm -hmm. and uh, I know we had this discussion a little bit um, about how in the US mortgages are, their terms are equivalent in most cases to their amortization right. uh, and their, their interest rate is fixed. They don't pay penalties to refinance and break that mm -hmm. yep. um, in a lot of cases. Do you think that that is something Canada should be adopting? Mm -hmm. So yes and no. Um, again, always be careful what you wish for and make sure you know all your facts before you start. To, you know, there's a lot of people calling for this type of thing. And I'm like, so sure. uh, in, in Canada, we've got the renewal cliff coming up here in the next two years, which, uh, you know, is, is going to live its own set of problems to us. But by contrast, in the United States, we have a supply shortage because uh, you know, let's assume I bought my house three years ago and I locked into my 30-year mortgage at 2.99. Well, now if I want to sell my house, go buy a new house, I got to go from 2.99, maybe up to I think the 30-year fix today is around pushing seven. Right. Well, no one's going to do that unless they absolutely have to. So no one's listing their home for sale. Why would right. I? You know, because to buy my same house back, my interest rate would more than double. So people are just standing pat, staying put. Which means there's not a lot of listings, there's not a lot of supply. So supply-demand equation says that prices must go up. So for new buyers, you've got prices going up because there's no supply. At the same time, interest rates have gone up. So it's a double whammy. 
Um, yeah. I do think from a personal financial perspective, it's a better thing because you can base, you know, your entire mortgage out. Uh, it also sure, eliminates yeah. the stress test, right? Which can yeah, be helpful. Yeah, that's right. But you know, the law of unintended consequences says all is not fine and all is not well because again, we've got a supply crunch as well because there's just no listings. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting about the state of Canada's economy as well is is we have those opposing forces yeah. uh, with this renewal cliff that's being talked about. Right, and I guess uh, speaking on that, wh- what are your thoughts on on CMHC had estimated 2.2 million mortgages are set to face interest rate shock in 2024 and 2025. And that figure accounts for 45% of all the outstanding mortgages in Canada. And so what are your thoughts on the renewal wave and how do you feel or think that it might impact our market? Well, I I think a lot of it's going to depend on personal behavior. Um, And that sounds like a little bit of a cop out so that I can't be wrong. You know, I didn't make a prediction, so I'm kind of I'm hedging here, but the old thing in Canada used to be people would drink rainwater and eat grass before they would default on their mortgage because their mortgage was their home, right? They, they, yeah. they don't want to uproot. But I, I don't know if that's the case anymore. And, you know, we saw during the great financial crisis in 08, 09, what happens uh, stateside, when all of a sudden your house was worth a heck of a lot less than you owed. And people said, why am I going to stay here and continue to make these massive mortgage payments for the next 15 years to break even, why would I do that? You know, bankruptcy and foreclosure just became another tool in the financial toolbox. I'm not saying I agree with it, mm-hmm. but unfortunately it was it was fact. And sure. I don't know if in Canada, you're gonna see a, that people have the fight left anymore. You know, if you bought at yeah. a peak and you paid a million dollars and your house is now worth, again, it's all regional and geographic, but a 25 to 30% decline at this point isn't, really that crazy. So, you know, your million dollar house is now worth $700,000. You're up for renewal. So you're down 300,000 of equity almost, and your payment goes up substantially. Yeah. I don't know if people have the fight in them to to be able to to, to go through it. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. And, and I think it's just something we simply are going to have to watch. You know, Manulife had, uh, in one of their recent reports, had said that there's expectations that the five-year fixed will um, be become well i know it's historically the the most common uh, mortgage term but will be increasingly so over the next little while with it being the most affordable let's call it at the current stage in the economy and and on that i i think um we really need to ask ourselves here like typically when everyone is jumping into the five-year fixed it's probably a bad time to take a five-year fixed right just yeah. like you knew the signs were on the table in 2021 and early 2022 when everybody was taking the variable. Yeah. Taking the five-year fix then, and that was the only time we really recommended a five-year fix. I'd always been a big variable guy. So whenever somebody's doing something, I generally try and do the opposite of that. So, <laughs> um, you know, maybe maybe the five-year yeah. fix isn't the way to go. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you what would you say to let's say anybody who's been on the sidelines has an upcoming renewal or that's been trying to buy let's say their first home maybe their second home or even those that maybe are trying to buy their first investment property yeah and I, I always love that question because everyone's always looking for an answer right like a here's here's my answer <laughs> uh, again not not to not to hedge here but it's going to depend you know and that's where, again, yeah. I think a good mortgage agent, good mortgage broker is going to sit down with a client and say, okay, 
what are your objectives? What are your goals? What do you think your future looks like? And then you can find a product that's going to be the most suitable for them. You know, I was talking to a gentleman the other day. I, I hate the three-year fix right now. I hate it. However, they were in a position where his work contract was three years and not likely to be renewed. Well, putting him in a five-year was probably going to create a massive IRD penalty in the future. So in their case, sure. the three-year made the most sense for their unique situation. I hate that right. three-year fixed, but it made the most sense. We kind of have to put our own uh, our own personal biases aside sometimes, uh, uh, most of the times as a professional, yep. and, uh, and set those aside for the client's best well, interest. Yeah. And I think we need to get back. I mean, real estate has made up such a big part of Canadian GDP over the last 12, 15 years. And we turned the housing market into a, into a commodity, and it became housing became traded like a like a stock for for lack of a better term. It became a yeah, financial commodity. Crazy. And we so, really there's no conditions like oh my goodness like and, and you, had, you even had thing. options on the housing market. They were called precons, and people were trading precons. Right. You know that that's an option basically. That's a yeah you know yeah, yeah. like. But we really need to get back in Canada to saying okay, you know you have to live somewhere. And where do I want to live? Well, I want to live in a good neighborhood with good schools, with no crime, et cetera, where I can raise my family. And, you know, we got to go back to marking our kids' heights on the on the board in the kitchen wall. And we need to make a house a home. And I think a lot of Canadians sure, have forgotten yeah, what housing is. And housing is supposed to be where you live. It's supposed to be where you raise your family, where you make memories, and where you cry when you leave that house because you're leaving all those good memories behind, but you're excited about the future. Housing became yeah. options and warrants on, you know, finances and people were buying and selling and trading and upping and downing. And it was ridiculous. If you need to live in a home and you need a home for your family, it, it shouldn't matter what interest rates are. If, if you feel that you can afford it, then you afford it and you find a way to make it work. Yeah. One of the, some of the conversations that I like to um have in my discussions with clients is that monthly budget. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's something that should be discounted uh, in the conversation and, and overshadowed by the rate discussion. Because oh. to your point, if you can afford it and you know you can afford it for the next three years, why wouldn't you take on something that you know pro would provide you with a new home, building equity? Not to mention that, um, and I think I think they caught uh, you know investors caught wind of this, but. Our principal residence is one of the few investments in Canada that is uh, free from capital gains tax when you sell it. Um, and so I, I think it's, um, to your point, has been very commoditized, um, increasingly so, and, and then and just exploited for every <laughs> avenue that we could. Yeah. And, I mean, you brushed on a very important thing there, which is the budget. And I, I think where the biggest struggle for a lot of Canadians is... Um, you know, where, where I grew up, you know, not not poor, but certainly not wealthy. I mean, you had needs and you had wants. And, you know, mom and dad always made sure you had what you needed, but you didn't always get what you wanted. And in the last 10, 15 years in Canada, needs and wants have been one list and people have just bought with no with with reckless abandon because there was no consequences. And, you know, first time buyers, uh, I was speaking with some a couple of years ago and like, you know, I remember what my starter home was. You know, you didn't want to have people over, but we were proud of it because it was ours. <laughs> and now, you know, yeah. I mean, first time home buyers need granite countertops and a triple car garage and a finished basement and upgraded lighting. And, and OK, uh, great. But you're going to you know spend seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. 
I, I think a lot of Canadians need to go back and look at that budget. Um, I'm amazed at the amount of people that put things on auto pay, for example. And, you know, you ask them, well, how much are your property taxes? I don't know. It comes out of my account. How much is your cell phone bill? I don't know. It comes out of my off my credit card. How much is your Netflix subscription? They always say, oh, it's 10 bucks. No, it's 22. No, it can't be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gone, on three, they've gone up three times since. <laughs> in a, yeah. In a very long time. And I think we need to get back to the very basics of of budgeting and household spending and and saying, OK, you know, we need this. We really want that. But it's not in the budget. So the want has to go. Yeah, yeah the, I think um, financial behaviors is, uh, again, one of those things that was picking up uh, a little bit. And then we had COVID and, and things just spiraled out of there. Uh, but I agree with you. I agree with you. And probably something that uh, that brokers, any new brokers that are listening, uh, new agents, try to take a, a holistic approach um, when it comes to the solutions that you're giving to your clients when, yeah. and with their mortgages. You want to add value to your client? Get a good budgeting sheet going and, and sit down with them and go through their budget and ask them, do you need this? Do you want this? Can we do without this? You know, I, I think yeah. that's something a new broker can do to add an insane amount of value. It's not going to pay you anything, but you're going to add a lot of value to your client and you're going to find the client's going to find a lot of things. You know, they're paying for subscriptions they don't even use or you know, stupid things like that. that. That's a great way to add value for, <laughs> for a new broker and for an old broker like us, you know, that have been around for a while. Um, it's, yeah. it's easy for the ones that have been in the business for 10 or 15 years to forget why they became successful. Yeah, that, that's a subscription trap that will get you. That, that um, you know, take a first first 30 days free, one week free, and just put your credit card in here. That's okay. Or, uh, you can cancel anytime. The, the one I love is, yeah, the first year of this subscription is only $19.99, but it auto-renews at $199 a year, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. something that uh, a lot of people just, eh, 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 whatever, right? Well, it looks like we're out of time here, Ryan. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know there's a lot more things that we wanted to discuss. Uh, and for anybody who's watching, if you'd like to keep in touch and, and watch through, uh, make sure to join us in the next episode. It's your mortgage podcast. Before you go, I need some help. Please subscribe to this channel to help grow our followers so we can reach more consumers with valuable information regarding all things mortgage related. You can also listen to the audio broadcast, link is below. You can visit our team website for more information, link is also below. Thanks so much for watching.